Welcome to Pathway to Faith with Bishop Steve Howe. Turn your expectations high as you receive the word from our man of God. Prepare yourself to hear a life-changing message. Let's tune in now. Uh, Perhaps some of you didn't care for me talking about the public school. But the public school that you attended, parents, is not the same public school. It's, it's, it's just simply not the same public school. And I don't know what you're thinking as a parent when you send your child, child off into the lion's den like that. Ill-prepared, unequipped. When I say ill-prepared, unequipped, I'm talking about your, your kindergartner, your first grader, your second grader, your third grader, your fourth grader, your fifth, your sixth, your seventh, and your eighth grade. They're not rooted and grounded enough yet. In, in, in what they believe. And then you send them off into that ungodly environment. When, when we put prayer out of the school, something filled that space. And something has filled that space. And you are deceived. You have yielded to a spirit of deception. If you think your child is going to turn out one way in that environment, a better way in that environment than they would in a Christian environment, you are deceived. As a matter of fact, I really question if you believe the Bible. I'm going to say some strong things today, but some strong things need to be said because this country is perhaps more engulfed in witchcraft than it's ever been in our lifetime. And the devil is after the mind of your child. The ungodly things that they have deemed law to impose upon the little mind of your child while you sit there. Minister Phillips and all of you, thank you for your singing. But I don't know if it's a time to sing. And thank God for all of you praying. But if all you do is pray, pray is not enough. Because after you get finished praying, if you don't act, Oh, God. I said, oh, God. I know I'm going to say some strong things. I'll be all right. But I'm concerned because real subtle, this thing is happening in this country. It's a subtleness of genocide. And black people particular. While you're singing, there is a system that is planning your annihilation. Let me me just read what, what I wrote down. Are you all ready for this? I heard a a leading, leading preacher 
the other day make a comment. And he said um, this this cliche, this saying about stay woke. Uh, which was emphasizing uh, to particularly uh, African-American youth, because it's, it's kind of a little saying that they have about stay woke. And it's, it's about becoming aware of the systematic racism that is in this nation that is planning on wiping them literally off the map. And so this preacher, this white brother, from a rather large, large organization, he made the comment that as Christians, we should not be emphasizing staying woke. We should not be emphasizing uh, about racism and bigotry in this country. That we should be emphasizing walking in love and walking in forgiveness. And I thought to myself before I wrote some of the things that I wrote, I, I agree with my white brother. I agree with him. We, we should, in the church, we should be emphasizing love and walking in love and walking in forgiveness, but that's not the history of the church. Now, I'm going to say some things that are rather strong, but, but check me out. And, and I can understand him wanting to emphasize that now because you control everything. But if that was the emphasis from the beginning when Christianity was instituted in this nation, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in now. And I, I'll go on record to say perhaps one of the most racist institutions in America is the church. I said it. Because if racism wasn't uh, embraced in the church, if not the father of it, then we wouldn't have these problems that we have in the world. And so I wrote some things. You don't have to take it, but I wrote it. Black Americans impoverish itself. Black Americans impoverishes itself. Blacks now own and control less now than in 1954 before the integration process began. So we own less now as a people in this country than we did before integration. Now I'm a little older than some of you and I grew up in a, in a, I grew up in a community where I saw black uh, cleaners. I saw black shoe shops. I saw black men owning uh, uh, companies where they, uh, what do you call it, paving companies. The, the owner was black. All the people who worked on it, all these highway jobs you see where people were working on the roads. In my, when I was a child, that was all black people's jobs. And the owners of those asphalt companies were black. Most of your bricklayers were black. Most of your plumbers were black back then. Are you all listening to me? Uh, uh, all the juke joints were owned by black people. 
the, the local community store was 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 a in my neighborhood was a, was a black woman. Uh, uh, I think bless her, she's going to be Lord because I borrowed several cookies from her. But it was black, so I'm just simply trying to get you to see in my formative years, my little mind was being shaped where I saw black ownership. The only white man I saw in my neighborhood was a man who used to come, and I didn't understand as a little boy, he didn't come to our house, we, we couldn't afford it, but he would come to the neighborhood uh, collecting money from people in my neighborhood for insurance. And, and then another white man came to our neighborhood selling clocks with flowers on them. And then another white man came to our neighborhood selling plastic cu colored plastic to put over the front of your television. Over your black and white television, put this colored paper in front of it to make it look like it was in color. When I went to school in the kindergarten, the first grade on to the sixth grade, I saw black and white teachers, black and white teachers, black and white teachers. When I went to the seventh grade, I went to another particular school and everybody in the school, including the cafeteria workers, were white. So I had certain challenges, certain thoughts, certain questions in my mind because in those formative years, I, I saw us. Are you listening to me? Now, most of you know my story. I grew up in stark poverty, but I had to walk through certain neighborhoods to get to my school. And all of those neighborhoods, by and large, were predominantly African-American neighborhoods. Fair Vista, Western Hills. Nice homes, all black people with their lawns cut. So as a little boy being raised in a house with no lights, no running water in an outhouse, I had to walk through these neighborhoods looking at people who looked like me, who was not living like me. So the seeds were planted in my soul. That as a little black boy, that I could live better because I can see better. Let, let, let me go on. Asians and Arabs, Hispanics have economically surpassed blacks in this country, though we were here long before them. While blacks still practice inappropriate behavior patterns that will keep their neighborhoods. Notice I said neighborhoods, neighborhoods powerless and poor. Now more refugees Afghans and other people groups are coming to America in search of a better quality of life. What did I just say? They're coming in search of a better quality of life, not to integrate with white Americans or to get along with African-Americans. They are coming to America to get ahead economically and to find wealth and fortune. That's why they're coming. They're, they're coming to America not, not, to, not to get along with white folks and not to get along with black folk. They're coming to America to get ahead economically 
What did I say? And to find wealth and what? They're coming to America to get ahead economically to find wealth and fortune or prosperity. That's why they're coming. They're coming for something that the majority of African Americans in this country still don't have. Oh, Jesus. They have, listen to this, they have learned they can find great opportunities in black neighborhoods. As they eat through aggregation, they develop more businesses, liquor stores, nail shops, beauty shops, fried fast foods, small convenience stores, etc. in your neighborhoods. They've, they've come to discover that they can come to America, come in your neighborhood, and draw, draw out your resources. As they capture more territory, they establish powerful economics and political organizations. Watch these Afghans use a sense of community I'm speaking to you prophetically now what the Lord gave me. Watch these Afghans who are coming now. Watch them use a sense of community to build social and economic power bases as other immigrants have done. So they're going to come and they're going to do what the Koreans have done, the Vietnamese have done, the Hispanics have done, the Jews have done, the Asians have done, the things that they have done in historically black neighborhoods. And they're going to generate wealth. Oh, boy. They understand you need a fully functional community to be a competitive people. They understand that, that you need a functional community to be a power to be reckoned with. Are you all listening to me? Just stay with me. Black Americans, for the most part, live in neighborhoods, not communities. Neighborhoods is a physical place where people live near one another. It has lesser wealth, power, and status. Blacks spend about 90% or more of their annual disposable income with people who live outside of their community. Community signifies commitment and a potential for power. Blacks, due to the psychological damage of slavery, has this thought of entering the promised land of integration would end their dilemma of a desired access to the American dream. Surprise. Bait and switch. For some of you who are slow of hearing and learning, I'll say it again. We thought as a people that integration would enter us into the promised land like Moses took the people out of Egypt in the Canaan's land. And we thought when we got to the promised land, integration, that it would change our economic status. Oh, boy. Blacks lost their businesses, their culture, educational institution, and more importantly, they lost their community. 
now black neighborhoods in America, including Prince George County, has a black, does not have a black business economy. There's not one, what did I say? This is scary while you're singing. There's not one black community in America in 2021, mother. Not one, not even Prince George County, which have some of the wealthiest blacks, not have, they have the wealthiest black in their county than any other county in the nation. So I'm not excluding Prince George County. I'm including it. And for those of you who say ATL, I'm including the ATL. Blacks down there live in beautiful, beautiful neighborhoods, but a neighborhood is not a community. And in Kansas City, Missouri, you have not one black community, not one. Not one. And I told the people about this years ago, didn't I, in Washington, D.C., that our challenge for economic advancement in this community is that we lack a black community. We have black neighborhoods. And for those of you in Lee Summit, you're not only in a, it doesn't have black economic empowerment, you don't even have power in the neighborhood. You can live there, but you don't own nothing. Oh boy. Not one black neighborhood in America has a black business community upon which its members can depend upon its residents for daily necessities, product, service, or jobs. Here, here we go. You remember those two kids that I brought up? You can't hire them. Nobody care about you walking around protesting with a, with a flag or, or a sign. They don't care about that. After you get finished marching, you go back to your neighborhood, not a community. And remember now, a neighborhood is not a community. Yeah, I know it's quiet. Because the reason we act like this is because even in the church, this mindset has been allowed. And we've been trained to come to church to hear something to make us feel good. And go back to the neighborhood. Or the hood. Or the block. Nobody is concerned about the neighborhood. Why? Because the neighborhood has no power. And the reason it has no power, it has no organization. And the reason it has no organization is because you have been, you have been systematically, psychologically brainwashed as a people. And the church, the church, we're, we're not innocent because the preachers of old 
who were handpicked by the slave master and was told what to preach to the slaves, that mindset still permeates the church even today. About giving you messages and preaching to you messages that make you feel good and just think about your reward when you get to heaven. Well, this wasn't a Sunday for you to come to get a message about when you get to heaven. I want to know what can God do for us down here right now. And so the messages of old were to make you feel good. And the songs were designed to make you shout so that you would numb your mind, your emotions. The, the preachers were handpicked to design to rob you from the ability to think. And as a result of this mindset, it is 20, what? 21. And we still don't have a black business community. And the major culprit who I hold responsible is the preacher. Because an ignorant preacher will produce an ignorant congregation. Like pastor, like flock. You see the flock, you'll see the pastor. You see the pastor, you'll see the flock. And I refuse the pastor, an ignorant church. I refuse. I, re I refuse. Now, now, this may sound a little racial to some of you. And the reason what I'm saying sounds a little racial is because you have been psychologically brainwashed that whenever somebody comes forward and starts giving you information about the dilemma and the reason for your lack of mobility, it's always been in a presentation like that speaker is speaking division. So a real bona fide leader only becomes popular when they die. Martin Luther King wasn't popular when he was alive. He couldn't preach in most churches that were pastored by black men. Because we have been psychologically damaged. Now let me say something to you. When 9-11 happened in New York City, you all remember that? And they rushed all of those doctors and psychiatrists to New York saying that those people were going to need uh, psychological help. Didn't they say it? Because of the trauma of that one day, one or two hour experience. But you release slaves after almost 400 years of tyranny, almost 400 years of, of being, being victimized, and you just release them into the community. And you didn't give them a dime. Now don't stand here in 2021 America and tell me that you don't believe in reparation. And any of you brainwashed Negroes who say you don't believe in it, you, you've been brainwashed too. I believe in it. Let me have some water. I know when I'm preaching something that enemy don't want my mouth to get dry. 
But if I have to drink three gallons of water, I'm going to... You, you got to hear this. Because the powers that be don't mind you having church as usual. And I'm, I'm going to say something. The way we have church is not God's way. Because if we had church the way God ordained it, it would change your mind. I know it would change your mind because the Bible says you're the head and not the tail. The Bible says you would be on the top and not the bottom. And you're still at the bottom as a people. The Bible says that you would be the lender and not the borrower. Now, I know this is messing with some of you because of the psychological damage that has happened. When, when somebody's bold enough to speak like this, it'll make you scared. Because you've been designed to be scared of a message like this. Because a message like this will set you free. And, and, and anybody who don't want you free is not your friend. I don't care if they're in church. Mm -hmm. So don't tell me you don't agree with reparation. You got these politicians now talking about we don't we don't believe in you are lying. You do agree with reparation. Because when they ended slavery, they gave reparation to the slave owners. See, the reason you're not upset is because you don't know. Which leads me. To my message today. There's a reason why you don't know. And there's a reason why your children won't know as long as you stay in their institutions. Because their institutions are not designed to enlighten your children. You can only hold in bondage ignorant people. Who Jesus. And only ignorant people keep circling the mountain and say to themselves that they've gone somewhere. Think with me for a moment. Just, just, we may not get far, but just think with me for a moment. Think that, that if the Lord tarries, it's not if, it's when you're going to die. Because you're going to die. But what are you going to leave your family? And when your parents pass, if they're still here, thank God. But when they did pass, what did they leave you? You're going to live 60, 70, 80, 90 years and then die. And there's nothing you left behind that will make your children's lives better. Put up my first nugget. Let, let me get busy. Let me work now. Put up my first nugget. Ready? Read. Sin is not our number one problem, but that's what you've been taught. That's what you've been taught. And so you work overtime to try to get victory over sin. And if you sin too much, you don't come to church because you feel guilty. Come on now. And every other altar call, you answer it. Because you think 
your problem is sin. Your problem is not sin. Say that. My problem, come on, say it again. Say it again. And that's what the church have taught you. That your problem is sin. That's why you can't get ahead. The reason God has not blessed you like he's blessed folks that you're looking at is because you're still sinning too much. And so have you noticed the more you work on not sinning? Okay, this is not the honest side. The notice, notice the more you work on not sinning, the more you have a challenge with sin. Your number one problem is not sin. Oh, Jesus. Sin is not the reason you don't have enough money. Sin is not the reason you don't own a business. Sin is not the reason your dreams don't come to reality. Sin is not the reason you're not experiencing the abundant life. Nugget number two. Ignorance will alienate you from the life of God that Jesus Christ provided through his death, burial, and his resurrection. Nugget number three. If you're living in a state of ignorance, life will never be abundant for you. Nugget number four. Number four. If you can change your decisions... Or if you can change your decisions, you can change your life. If you can change your decisions, you can change your life. You want to know why your life is so parallel to your parents? Meaning that when I say parallel, that by and large, whatever way they operated, whatever way they thought, whatever things that they accomplished or did, you grew up and did the same thing, even though you said you wasn't going to do it. The reason you find yourself pretty much operating the same way is because they imparted to you their decisions. And their decisions didn't deliver them. And their decisions are not delivering you. Now, this is, I know this is going to be a little uneasy and even for our, our young folk, is because uh, as a people, because of the psychological damage, we have a real problem of being still and listening to information. Yes, We've been conditioned for just entertainment, and we love it. Yes, we can be broke and don't have any money and find some money for a new outfit for a program down the Sprint Center. Are you listening to me? We cannot have a dime in the bank and have $150 tennis shoes on. Don't even have a bank account and got a $150 pair of tennis shoes on. Got a $400-$500 purse or $1,200 purse or $4,200 purse and don't have a dime on the inside of it. 
walking around with Gucci belts, Chanel earrings, and don't have a dime in the bank. Don't own nothing. And I'm saying you can go anywhere in the country and African-Americans operate the same way. Are you listening to me? That tells you something right there, that there is something systematically going on that causes us as a people to continue generation after generation to act in a way that is dysfunctional. I'll say it again because some of you didn't hear it, that, that other communities, other ethnicities have discovered that they can come to America and come into black neighborhoods and drain off their resources and get rich and send their kids to private school and to private colleges on the backs of your money. No, no, this is what, this is what ought to make you upset. No other community allows that. We're the only people, when we get a little money, want to leave the neighborhood. Instead of staying, making it better. No other group of people do that. When a Mexican comes to America, they look for a Mexican community. When an Asian comes to America, they look for an Asian community. When these Afghans come, they're going to establish an Afghan community. You're going to have Koreatown, Chinatown. Scottish town, Germantown. But you don't have a black town. And can you handle this, mother? Those signs in those communities, they're letting you know that that's their community. When you drive off the highway, there's a sign that'll say Asian town or Chinatown. And when you go into that town, you'll see all the businesses are owned by Chinese or Koreans or Scottish or Ireland or German. And they will allow you to come in, and you do. They'll allow you to come in and buy products. But you can't set up shop. And it doesn't bother you. Because you've been conditioned for it not to bother you. Ooh, Jesus. And so to my suburbanites, They don't mind you moving out there. Because even though you're in their community, you don't have power because you're a minority. And the only time they're going to watch you and your name is going to become on the discussion board when they have their meeting that you're not included in. is when you try to open up a business in that community. I had a friend, not, I'm not talking about 
50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. He's gone on to be with the Lord. But he had a member. I remember when I came to Kansas City in 86, uh, by and large, African-Americans were just starting to move pretty much in the grand view. They, it, you know, they was, it, was a, it, it wasn't dominated, but it was, I mean, they were moving. Uh, yeah. yeah, y'all can play them if you want to. And a couple of y'all were out there in Lee Summit. And one of his members moved in Lee Summit, opened up a business. This ain't, this ain't something his. This is something I know. Opened up a business in Lee Summit, and the Lee Summit community got together and said, this is a black-owned business. We don't want it. And they stopped patronizing it. No, no, let me, let, me, let me tell you how it was. It was owned by a white person first. The person was working in the back of the business. The person who owned it got old and wanted to retire and sold the business to the person in the back who was the baker. When the people who had been patronizing the business for years found out that now the business was not owned by a white person, but a black person who was cooking their donuts, they stopped buying the donuts. Now, now you think that's evil, don't you? You think that's evil. And you've been conditioned to think that that's evil. What they did wasn't evil. What they did wasn't evil. So you'll gather your little group and, and walk around with signs protesting. What they did wasn't evil. They were protecting their community. And don't get mad at them because they got enough sense to protect their community and you don't. You're the only people, you're the only people you're the only people in America who protest about somebody having something that you want and don't go get it yourself. You're the only people. We're the only people who protest about going into a school or protesting about going into a business. Other ethnic groups don't do that. Why? They create their own. You're the only group of people who are satisfied, praising patronizing somebody else's stuff and don't have your own. You're the only group of people who will talk about people who look like you, who try to have something. You're the only people who do that. Black people are the only people who will talk about their institutions. Man, that church ain't nothing. Lincoln University, oh, don't go send your kids down to that school. Them folks ain't doing nothing down there but partying. You're the only people who do that. Nobody else talks about their institutions. Now, I'm not mad at you. You were, you were designed. You were educated. You were brainwashed. You were institutionalized to think that way. That's why you don't trust me. If I get some money, you want to know what I'm going to do with it. You, you know that impact money? What did he do with it? Now, I'm not, don't get offended. Don't get upset. There's a reason why you're that way toward me. You were designed to be suspicious of me. And then small-minded people are always suspect of anything large. 
You, you were institutionally brainwashed not to trust me. And don't get upset with me. You don't trust the person next to you. But you'll turn around and go put your money in a bank and don't know nobody in there. This is the craziness of it. I've never lynched you. I've never beaten you. I've never whipped your back open. So how is it you trust the person who's done the most damage to you and don't trust a person who's done nothing to you? Ooh, Jesus. Now, I know this is strong, but it has to be said and somebody has to say it because we're trying to act like church is church as usual and it's not. And I would be lying if I said I wasn't concerned about people of color because unless something happened, black people are being annihilated in this country. We are dying like flies. We're killing each other over, over crumbs. And nobody say, and the preacher ain't saying nothing. Our kids, our kids, are dying in Kansas City over nothing. And the preachers are not saying anything. And you either. Because you think as long as it's not in my house, care. Did I, did I finish my nuggets? Is, it, is this all right? Put up nugget number five and number six and, and I'll, I'll, I'll be finished. Nugget number five. Nugget number five. Ready? Read. Okay, let me read it in English. The vexation with ignorance is that most people under its shelter do not know that they are. To be ignorant and don't know you're ignorant. Come on now, don't, don't back up on me. You've lived too long. Every adult stand. Kids remain seated. You don't qualify yet. Hopefully you'll never qualify. But every person who is standing, you have lived too long to not have made more progress in life. Come on now. Some of you have lived too long and you still don't own a house. You don't even have life insurance. And then you're dating somebody who's ignorant. They don't even know that it's necessary. You have lived 
too long. And this is where I am because I've lived longer than I've yet to live. And I know that. And if I allow myself to go into a state of denial that I won't do what I need to do with the time I got left. So my goal is, how can I leave this world a better place for these kids that I just had up here? That it'll be better for them than it was for me. Not only have you lived too long, you think you know too much. You see how I slid that in there? That was a nice way of saying ignorant. Because if you're that smart, how come you don't have more? If you've got it going on like that, then show me the evidence. And if you don't change something, you will end up probably in a lower place than your parents because things are changing. You may be seated. Last nugget. Is my time gone? Yeah, yeah no, my time. How, how much time I got? Yeah, my time is gone. Look at nugget number six. Read it. Say it again. I propose to you today that sin is not our number one problem. Our number one problem is ignorance. Turn, if you would, your Bibles real quick to Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. Hosea chapter 4, page 792. Page 792. Now, now notice you're not shouting. And notice you're not jerking. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But what I want to know after you get finished shouting and after you get finished jerking, what do you own? What do you own? Now, you remember earlier I made reference about prayer. And prayer is important. But prayer is not the only thing you need to do to get ahead. Did you hear what I said? Prayer is important. And we need to pray. But prayer is not the only thing you must engage in to get ahead. Are you in uh, page 792? Uh, look at Hosea chapter 4. Look at verse 6. Ready? It should be on the screen. Ready? Read. That, that's so powerful because the first part of it is all of us. The mid part of that text or that verse is talking about the leader. It's, it's, the prophet Hosea is really getting on the leader. He is saying to the leader, the people are ignorant because of you. The people don't have nothing because you haven't given them anything to change their mind to have something. You yielded to the pressure preacher of coming out being their entertainer instead of coming out being their prophet 
And nobody shouts when the prophet first delivers the message. And because you, pastor, leader, you're hooked on the feeling of them responding to you, you can't tell them what they really need to hear. Because they're hooked on nothing, and you're hooked on giving nothing. So your church remains ignorant. Your church people remain poor and broke. And beneath and not on top. I was with perhaps the most powerful CEO in not just Missouri, but in this region the other day. He came to this ministry and I had the privilege of talking with him. And I said something to him that you could just see a light went off in his soul. And I said, I said, sir, you can literally live and exist and do everything you need to do, and you don't ever have to deal with anybody who looked like me. I said, you can feed your family. You can go to a place of worship. You get sick, you can go to the hospital. If you need a loan or something, you can go to a bank and never have to deal with anybody who looked like me for your self-sustenance. I said, for me, I said, I can't feed my family. I told him, I said, I can't feed my family. I said, if my family gets sick and I have to take them to the hospital, I said, I can't take them to the hospital. I said, if they want to do something in business, I said, I can't take them to the bank and get a loan. And the church that I go to, a lot of the people who look like me, but we're all in the same bucket. I said, so, so you can live the kind of life you want to live and your children, and you never have to deal with me. I said, I can't live, my children can't live, unless I learn how to deal with you. Do you see the discrepancy? And he's, I mean, it was like, it was like he was in a classroom and got an education. My wife said he did. He said, oh my, I never saw that. I said, and then on top of that, I shared with him because he was interested in another community. I said, you got to understand that if you're going to change the African-American condition in this region, I said the approach has to be different than it is with, uh, with Hispanic Americans in, in this region. Amen. He said, how so? I said, what will work in the Hispanic commu community won't work in the African-American neighborhood. And he caught it. He said, you said one community, you said one neighborhood. I said, African-American neighborhood because African-Americans don't live in a community. He said, well, explain that to me. I said, uh, Hispanics live in a community. I said, there are places in Kansas City you can go, and if you go to a store, the Hispanic own it. A Hispanic will check you out, and a Hispanic will watch you go out the door without stealing something. If you get in there and say something they don't like, they start speaking another language and communicate with one another, and we don't know what they're saying. So they got, the, I told you, so they got their language, which alienates us. They have their culture, which alienates us. And I said, we have neither. Oh, Jesus. 
So in reality, we are really white black people. I've never said that before, publicly. Mm -hmm. And try to accommodate our white minds, the more we can get around a white environment, the better we feel about ourselves. So, the more we operate as people of color, not having to interact with people of color, the more we think we've arrived. So if we go home to a neighborhood and the only people we see who, like us is us, we think we're doing something. And if we put our kids in a school and they're only black in the classroom, we think they're special. And we're the only ethnic group who think like that. Have you noticed no other group allows anybody to teach their children? Have you noticed that? You won't find a Hebrew in your public school. And if it's some Hispanic, if it's some Hispanics that go to the school, that school will be dominated by Hispanics. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. We're the only people who seem to be satisfied owning nothing. And we teach our kids the same polluted mindset. So I close. So you have victory over this historical lie that the white man is your problem. The white man is not your problem. Your problem is ignorance. And you'd rather watch three, four, five, six hours of television than to read a good book that will change your mind. If you open up the Bible, it'll put you to sleep. If you start reading a book that starts challenging your mind, you get tired. Because you're starting to use muscles that haven't been used in years. Your problem is ignorance. Let me, let me do this. All of your decisions that you have made up till today, look where it's brought you. If you're not happy where you are, your decisions brought you there. I say again, if you're not happy where you are, your decisions brought you there. 
Got your children out there playing basketball three and four or five hours every day, and they don't even like basketball. You're trying to force them to get a scholarship. Bless God, you're going to hit this ball. Swing it. Swing it again. Swing it again. And every day, you're trying to get a scholarship. Why don't you make enough money, parents, to send them to school and pay for it yourself? Come on now. Your child got a better chance of being a doctor than an NBA player. Your child's got a better chance of being a lawyer than to be an NFL player. There, there, there are more openings in being a doctor or a lawyer or an architect. Are you listening to me? A podiatrist than there is openings for the NBA or the NFL. It's our thinking. It's our thinking. We don't put our kids in anything unless it's free. Start thinking. I ain't got no money for that. You got money for a new hairdo. I work too hard for my money. I don't have no money for that. You got money for them new shoes? Oh, Jesus. They don't like this, do they, Lord? It's true anyway. Reason I said sin is not your number one problem is because Jesus took care of the sin problem. While you're majoring on trying to get overcome something that Jesus has already defeated, can you see, can you see the ignorance in that? You're trying to get victory over something that Jesus has already defeated for you. You're trying to get victory over sin. Jesus has defeated sin and he's made available for you and I the abundant life. We, we won't get finished. We, we, we just won't get finished. We, we can't do it. But as a little boy, I used to ask this question because I didn't understand. And even as an adult for a certain season, I asked this question. I never could understand how people who don't go to church, don't care nothing about God, and live in large. And then the people I knew went to church every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday. Come on, yeah, you find every Wednesday, every Thursday to choir practice, every Friday to a night service. Saturday, half a day, and then back Sunday, all day. For Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, afternoon fellowship, and evening revival. As a child, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand how can these people who say they love God, and I'm not saying they didn't, but why are they so poor? And then Mr. Johnson over here chewing tobacco and cussing like a sailor. Drives a new car, living in a nice house, and his wife has got a mink coat on. I didn't, I didn't understand. 
it really confused me as a child when I was your age sitting in church. I used to look around confused. And I used to wonder, what are they so happy about? Why are these people singing and dancing and living so bad with so little? And here's a group of people who go golfing every Sunday. And it doesn't seem like God is anywhere on their minds. And yet they're living the life that Jesus said was for us. The abundant life wasn't for the sinner. The abundant life was for the church. And these truths were not initially taught to the people on the plantation. And though we are no longer on the plantation, those messages are still coming across the pulpit that is holding us as a people in bondage. Because we don't come to church for information so that we are no longer ignorant. We come to church for entertainment. Waiting for the spirit to hit us. If the spirit hits you, what are you going to do? Do you see the madness? Do you see the madness? Do you see today why protesting hasn't brought us to where we need to come? Nobody cares about you protesting because they know it's only going to last for two or three days and you're done. You better get your behind back to work. Or the same one you protesting against will fire you. And the reason they will fire you is because you don't own nothing. And if you get fired, you can't get hired because nobody who looks like us can hire you. So it forces you to stay in your place. A wise man in 1933, he made the comment in 1933. He says, if you control the way a man thinks, you'll never have to watch what he does. He says that he will find his place and stand there. Ooh, Jesus. There was a psychological experience that was done on you in this nation on purpose to cause you to think in a certain way. And 200 and something years later, you are still thinking the same way. And though you no longer have physical chains, there are no longer in some cases physical boundaries. You know your place. And you stand there. And you come against anybody who wants to change the social order. Because you've been conditioned that if you tell on me, if you tell on me that I'm giving you information that will change 
your social order. You've been conditioned to tell on me so that they might give you a couple more bones that they would give the masses. I know you're quiet. I was talking to a great leader in this nation, in the church, great leader, powerful leader. And I said, if we don't attack this social engineering that is going on in the church, I said, it won't be long. You won't have any churches with black people in them with a black leader. You got quiet on that one. Because we've been socially conditioned to feel special and better if somebody is overseeing the organization and running the company because their ice is colder than a person of a dark hue. So you can put your head in the sand and act like you don't see. But I told this powerful leader and he shook his cage. I said, man, in the next 10 years, we won't have a black pastor in this country. Because when this country emphasized, uh, uh, what's the word they use? Diversity. I said, that's a catch word, just like integration was a catch word. When they finally, uh, in, in, in the 60s, went on and yielded to the civil rights movement and made integration a law and that the segregation was against the law, it didn't change nobody's community but yours. And under the, under the umbrella of diversity in the church, that diversity is not whites coming where you are. Diversity means you're going where they are. And if we're going to stay with the Bible and we're going to walk with the Bible correctly, then it should be a flow either way. Are you all listening to me? I don't really want to single them out, but I will single them out because I've talked to them personally. The Burskins family, if it, if it wasn't for the Burskins family, and if I didn't know God, if I didn't know God for myself, I would have nothing to do with the church. Because the church is just as racist and as prejudiced, more so than the world. No, no, don't clap. Because when they talk about Christianity, they're only talking about Christianity as long as they're in control. And, and this uproar in this nation about what's going on with, uh, with uh, January the 6th. This country don't care nothing about democracy. This country don't care nothing about Democrat or Republican. All of that's to trick you. All this country is concerned about is who is going to be in control. And they will kick democracy to the curb like they're trying to do. If it means one person, one vote, and we lose power. So this country is in a paradigm shift. Because the dominant culture is no longer the dominant culture. 
And they realize in the next 10 years or so, if they don't change the system, the system that causes them to dominate, that same system, it will cause them to be dominated. And so they're fighting for their life. And you're tricked if you think they're fighting for black and white. They're not fighting black and white. They're fighting over control. And the sad part about it is that by and large, African-Americans in this country, they don't control nothing. Policemen can walk in your house, beat your wife in the head, beat your children in the head. And if you try to defend them, they'll lock you up for resistance. They pulled a black man over, told him to get out of the car. He said he wasn't going to get out of the car. They pulled guns on him. They tried to drag him out of the car. He wouldn't come out of the car, and they shot him and killed him. A white man done the same thing the other day. He was in the car. Two white policemen told him to get out. He said, I'm not getting out. They said, put your hands on the steering wheel. He said, I'm not going to put my hands on the steering wheel. He said, I know my rights. He said, I'm going to drive off. I'm not going to bother nobody, and I'm just going to drive off, and I'm going to go home. They said, don't you do it. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. With guns drawn, don't you do it. He put his car in drive. And went somewhere. The cameras didn't show. It just showed him driving off. Not one bullet fired. Not even a, a shot of warning. And the reason they can do that, sir, and get away with it, is because you don't have a community. <laughs> That's why they can send people in your, in your neighborhood. And 90% of the policemen don't even look like you. And, and you're the only people who allow that. Try to send an all-black police force into Overland Park. See how long that'll last driving around Leewood. Them phones are light up. Why? Because they understand the psychological effect of having all of those black policemen policing their neighborhood, their community, and their little kids seeing that. But they also understand the psychological impact that it has on your little black boy and your little black girl seeing all those white men driving in their neighborhood. Non-verbally telling them, if you get out of place, is this, this too much? If it blessed you at all, put your hands together and just thank the Lord. I know you wanted to hear something else. 
I know you came to church to hear something else. But if we don't change this paradigm, we're going to lose our young people. Because our children are looking at us saying, Mom and Dad, can't you see? And if you can see, what are you going to do about it? Watch this. Have a seat. Every black business owner, it's your business. It's your business. Would you please stand? And you have employees. That's it? Quickly, how many employees you have? Come on, quickly. You can sit down. How many employees you have? Two. How many employees you have? None. How many employees you have? Ten. You can sit down. How many employees you have? Ten. How many employees you have? Three. How many employees you have? Seven. How many employees you have? Four. How many employees you have? How many? One. That's all right. Come on, give her a hand. Don't be shy. Give her a hand. And she acted like she was a little bit bashful because she said one. Look at all the folks that said none. Out of all those people in here who own their own business, they can't even hire 100 people. Now, here, here's the thing. The vision that God has given me, look what I have to work with. Well, Mr. Charlie, don't, don't be offended by me saying that, but I've I visited some of them and talked to some of the pastors. I mean, they got water fountains out in front of the church that cost over a half a million dollars, a water fountain. And if I put a sprinkler system in the front of our church, you want to know what I'm doing with the money. You don't know what pastor taking our time now, putting no sprinkler. We, we don't need no sprinkler. I can bring my own holes up to the church. No, why are you laughing? That's why African-American, you didn't know it, but African-American preachers are resigning from being pastors at an all-time high in the church and dying. I can't tell you how many associates I've had who have died from the stress of trying to pastor the congregations that they have. You can't explain what we've done in this city with people who don't own businesses. I sat at a table in this church with a man who can give more money to this church than everybody in here put together. And he's at somebody's church. So I'm trying to obey God and bring the vision to pass with assembly workers. Well, while my white brothers are doing what they're doing in ministries with people who own the assembly line. And it's killing your pastors. 
It's killing them. It's killing them. And then most of you have enough nerve to sit up in the church and don't even tithe. You're killing them. You're killing them. And then when you drain the life out of them, then you leave. Don't, don't look at me all saying, I don't already spoke for myself. I'm going to live and not die. <laughs> you have to be concerned about me. I'm not dying. I love you, but not to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not today. Not today. I do love you. I do love you. You won't find a preacher that'll tell you what I said in a six or seven, eight, nine, ten mile radius, state radius of what I've just said because they're afraid. And they're afraid because you have created an environment for them to be afraid. But because I've never been moved by money, I've always been able to stand flat-footed and say what I believe the Lord has told me to say. If you, if you leave now and I don't say what I'm getting ready to say, I would have I done nothing for you. But what I'm going to say to you now will change your life. The difference between neighborhood and community, I've already pretty much emphasized that. That, that by and large, black folks don't live in communities. Because if you owned your community, you would be able to hire people in your community, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You, you can't do that. All of you standing, by and large, you live in, in neighborhoods where they're predominantly black or mixed or whatever. It's a neighborhood. The reason other ethnic people continue, and the Afghans are coming now. The Afghans are coming now. The people in Afghanistan that President, Trump, uh, President Biden, all them thousand people, they lifted out of there and they're bringing them to America. They, 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 some of them won't find their way to Kansas City. And they're going to establish a community. They're going to find a place. And usually most of the time when those immigrants come, they come close to or in African-American neighborhoods, typically because the property taxes are lower and the cost of living is lower. But, but they're, they're, they, they establish an enclave. It might be just two or three of them initially. Then their mama and cousin and everybody come and they start expanding. The reason that they're able to do that is because they think of us. Black folks don't think of us. Black people think of me. So if any one of them is doing well, they don't care about nobody else because it's all about them. With other ethnic groups, it's not about them, it's about us. Some of you are putting all that. Yeah, it's the truth. Most black folk don't care about other black folk. We've been conditioned that way. As long as they keep shooting on 26 and Prospect, I'm sorry to hear about it, but I won't lose no sleep. They got about 15 more blocks to go for me to get nervous. 
In other words, the reason we're in the condition that we're in is that we are our own worst enemies. Because all we think about is us. I mean me, not us, me. If I'm making it, I don't care about nobody. And this mindset is in the pulpit. Because most preachers, if he's living good, he's not going to really tell you anything to change your life. He's not going to cause any controversy. And most of your educated blacks, they're not going to cause any controversy because they're making money off of your poverty. Because the government cuts them a check to make sure you stay in your boundaries. And so other communities who have come here or people who've come here after us are doing so much better is because they think about us. And so when they hire somebody, notice who they hire. And then when you patronize their business, notice how rude they treat you. They talk to you sometimes like they're paying for it. And you allow it. You put your money in a bank that won't even hire your children in the summertime. You patronize businesses and never seen anybody there working who look like you. You've done it so much, it don't even bother you anymore. Come on, say amen to the truth. It's the truth. You go to grocery stores, you do all your business, and you exchange your money with people who've never hired anybody who look like you. And it doesn't even bother you anymore. And the reason we're like that is because we don't think about us. We're so selfish. We're so materialistic. We're so busy trying to look like we got something that we don't have rather than changing our minds and get it. And so I'm done. I'm done because what will my life mean if I live and then die and nothing has changed? My greatest challenge, I told my wife, I said, baby, I've been ministering for over 30-something years. Has it changed anybody's life? Is there anybody who can look at their life and say, you know, if I had not sat under that teaching, I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't be thinking the way I think. I wouldn't own a home. I wouldn't own a business. I wouldn't. Is there anybody that has benefited? From the teaching. Not so much the preaching, but the teaching. Because you must own something. You work too hard not to own something. And I charge you today, don't die and leave your children nothing. Something tangible. Leave them a house Leave them an apartment building. Leave them a donut shop. Leave them a shoe shop. 
Leave them a, a, a computer company, but leave them something. Leave them more than just your name. You remember mama? You remember daddy? Yeah, yeah. Thank God for the memory, but I want to see something. You know, daddy left that. Daddy, mama and them left us this. All you grandkids, the reason y'all going to college, Papa made a way for that before y'all were even born. You, you, you see all these, these companies we own in, in the Kansas City metropolitan area? Yeah, uh, Papa bought the first one. It started with them. Your daddy, your grandmother, your grandfather, your mama, your daddy had a vision. And they knew that they wouldn't benefit from it when they started the business. But they knew if the Lord tarries, generations to come. Oh, you didn't catch it. Daddy knew when he started the business, he would never personally make a dime. But he knew by the time he died, the business would be paid for. And all of the family members who come after him, there would be money in their pocket. You got to live for something bigger than yourself to do that. Wow, what an amazing message. Thank you for listening to our Pathway to Faith broadcast. If you're ever in the Kansas City metro area, join Bishop and Dr. Howe at Harvest Church International Outreach, 4300 North Corrington Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri, 64117. Or catch our services live online at www.harvestchurchkc.org. Be blessed.